So here we go. I'm so glad everyone's here. Thank you again. It really is an honor um, in, in more ways than we have time to go into. So hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Shemitah Live, a gathering co-hosted by allcreation.org, National Wildlife Federation, Shemitah Project Northwest, and Hazon, and produced by Biointegrity Partnerships. I am Chris Searles, executive editor of allcreation.org and executive director of Biointegrity. I'll be the moderator tonight. I am sincerely thrilled to get to work with this event's co-hosts, and we are sincerely thrilled to bring these great people together. We're gathering because we wanted to celebrate this outstanding group of Jewish thought leaders, raise some Shemitah awareness in the world, and just have a good conversation about this emerging way of thinking about our shared future on Earth. Back in December 2021, allcreation.org published a new collection of essays and interviews and artworks entitled Shemitah Now. That collection came together beautifully because we hired guest editor Yaira Robinson and she did the rest, including bringing this group of people together to contribute to the growing modern understanding of the relevancy of Shemitah, the biblical commandment of releasing debts and letting agricultural lands rest every seven years and freeing slaves and enabling an economic reset that ensures a secure foundation rooted in connection to the land and to every person every 50 years. So we're here tonight in the year 2022, also known as the Jewish year 5782, to listen to some of these thought leaders and their ideas on Shemitah now. And quickly, I just wanna introduce our esteemed panelists. I will read the names here if you guys wanna wave while we uh, go through the list quickly, please do. We have co-host Naomi Edelson from National Wildlife Federation, co-host Deirdre Gabay from Shemitah Project Northwest, Co-host Sarah Zell Young from Hazon, the Jewish Lab for Sustainability. Guest panelist Rabbi Nina Beth Carden of St. Mary's Ecumenical Institute and the Maryland Campaign for Environmental Human Rights. Guest panelist Dr. Mirla Goldsmith of Jewish Earth Alliance. Guest panelist Rabbi Laura Bellows from Dayenu, a Jewish call to climate action. Special guest panelist Simcha Schwartz from Wilderness Torah. Simcha is our special guest because while he was not a contributor to this issue, Wilderness Torah does have a bunch of new resources entitled Shemitah Slowdown. Also, Semcha has a deep background in this area, and so it's, it's really exciting to have him here with us tonight. And we have joining us a little bit later on, Nati Passau from Dayenu, and our secret special guest who did make it, much to everyone's delight, Rabbi Fred Sherlander-Dobb has, uh, has joined us, and uh, his CV, I should have written down because it's pretty extensive, but among other things, he is the... Uh, the chair of the Coalition on Environmental on the Environment and Jewish Life, a board member of Interfaith Power and Light, the National Board, and a rabbi at Adat Shalom Reconstructionist Congregation in Baltimore area, I believe. Not sure if that's right. So, okay. Uh, thank you everyone for being here and tuning in and zooming in. For anyone listening now or in the future to the podcast, we're so glad you could join us. This is going to be a fun hour. We want to begin with a quick explanation of the word Shemitah from co-host Deirdre Gabay. So Deirdre, take it away, please. Thanks, Chris. I'm really excited to be here among this group of thoughtful people who I admire so much and to have this conversation. And I'm going to assume that everyone here has a basic understanding of what Shemitah is. Like the weekly Sabbath, Shemitah establishes a rhythm to life a rhythm consisting of six years of activity, followed by a year of sacred rest for the land and all its creatures. 
For one year out of every seven, human exploitation of the land is to cease. Debts are to be released, and all are to share equally in the abundance of the landscape. Every 50 years, there's to be an economic rebound through Yavel. Yavel ensures that the entire productive capacity of the earth doesn't wind up in the hands of the few, while many are left destitute and homeless. In all, it's very much like a return to Eden. And it comes with a promise and a warning. The promise, do this and you will live in security and abundance. The warning, if we don't, there will be consequences that will manifest through an increasingly hostile environment. But what meaning can this obscure agricultural commandment have for us in modern times? That is what we're here to have a conversation about today. It's impossible to ignore the fact that our world is in crisis. It's in crisis through the growing environmental catastrophe of human-caused climate change, and also through the unconscionable distribution of wealth that distorts the social, political, and economic fabric and has deep implications for the very idea of justice. The Hebrew Bible hints that these seemingly disparate crises are linked and offers Shemitah and Yovel as an antidote. The people Chris has gathered into con conversation here are among many across the country and the world who have been thinking deeply about the lessons that Shemitah holds for us in modern times. We'd like to give each of you two to three minutes to share a bit about who you are, what motivates you on a spiritual level, and what you're involved with right now and its connection with Shemitah. You'll have the opportunity to respond to one another, ask questions, make connections, and generally converse with one another after these opening statements. And in the final few minutes, audience members may have the opportunity to ask questions too. So for those of you listening, if you have questions as the speakers converse, please write them down and we'll give you a chance to submit them through the chat when we get to that part. So let me start by inviting Naomi to um, introduce herself um, and to share um, what she would like to about her, her life project, her connection with Shmitsa, um, wh wh whatever moves you in your, in your two or three minutes of introductory remarks. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Chris, for hosting this. Really appreciate it. So when I was growing up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I used to have a sign on my door that said, I like horses and dogs. And like many girls growing up in an urban area, that was my relationship to animals. Um, and I thought I, but I thought I wanted to be a farmer. I really did, I had this idea. And then I even mucked stalls and stuff like that and as an intern. And then I saw a movie in high school about wolves and that changed my whole game plan. And I decided to become a wildlife biologist wild animals were much more exciting. And I'm a wildlife biologist and I work for the National Wildlife Federation. That's been my career goal, my personal goal. And I wanted to share with you the line, one of the lines from Deuteronomy that really speaks to me about my choice in life is this idea that I call heaven and earth to witness you today. I have put before you a blessing and curse. Therefore, I encourage you to choose life that you and your children may live. And I feel like right now, as many of you do, that every choice we make for the earth is about choosing life. And most of us don't farm anymore, um, but while we don't do that, we actually are growing things. And those of us who have yards, we are growing grass, lawns. That's how we have grown up being taught 
to what is beautiful. And this grass, just like agriculture, can harm the earth. We put fertilizers and pesticides, we put on plants that didn't ever exist here from other, par other parts of the world that aren't adapted and don't provide food for wildlife. And we are actually harming the earth through our yards. While we think of them as beautiful and fun places to enjoy with our families, they actually also, like Shemitah called for, they asked for, uh, we need to change how we take care of our yards, change them to put in native plants that will help people and wildlife. And it is these native plants that are locally adapted and they help provide food for wildlife, our bees and our butterflies and our birds, and they slow the flow of these climate-fueled intense rains in the mid-Atlantic region. And we can make a big difference. Like we, we think of uh, nature as being parks and we all go to them, many of us, especially during the pandemic. But in fact, we need to recreate these kinds of biologically functioning places that are also important spiritually because we don't have a relationship with wildlife anymore. But if we put in native plants, we'll see the bees buzzing and the butterflies buzzing. And we will have that on a daily basis. I just want to say this is part of a program we call Sacred Grounds. Thank you. Beautiful. And Rabbi Cardin, if you wouldn't mind giving us a couple of minutes about your work, your connections to Shemitah. Absolutely. By the way, Naomi, I have a National Wildlife Federation a plaque on my front yard because we, we, we became one of those yards. So thank you for that wonderful program that you have. Um, I am Nina Beth Card, and I'm a conservative rabbi in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we were asked to maybe choose a special text that uh, motivates us. And I would say I will share the text with you that I have chosen for tonight, but an hour ago, I might've chosen a different text. Yesterday, I might've chosen a different text. Tomorrow, I might choose a different text. So there's so much in the tradition that inspires you from, from day to day, depending on your need, right? Depending on your desire. So what I wanted to share with you tonight is um, actually from uh, the Hasidic tradition, from the Kutzker Rebbe. There's a story told of the Kutzker Rebbe, um, who was a you know, brilliant man and a disciple came to him to learn about life. And instead the Kutzker turned back to the disciple and said, you tell me, why are we here? Why do you think we're here? Why, why, why did God put us here? And so the disciple, you know, sort of trembling and said, well, we're here to, to improve ourselves, to, to perfect ourselves. And the Kutzker said, no, 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 that's not why we're here. We're here to hold up the heavens. And so I love that, but I would just tweak it just a little bit by saying that we learn how to perfect ourselves by holding up the heavens. That is somehow what we need to do is improve ourselves, yes, because the world needs us to be the very, very best that we can be. But the way we can be the very best that we can be is engaging in the external world and seeing how it is beautiful and yet how it needs to be improved. And so I just love the fact that I'm here to hold up the world. It empowers me and it humbles me and I get up every morning and wondering, <laughs> what, can I, what can I do today? You know, what, what pillars need to be um, reinforced today? And the connection that I make between that and Shemitah is as follows. So you go with me with this. There's a wonderful rabbinic tradition that says that when God created the world, God created the universe, God made the, the, the light so luminous and so powerful that God knew that when humans were created, that light would be just too powerful for them. So God took the light and hid it. It's God, God took this, the, the massiveness of the light and hid the majority of it like under God's throne. And the rest of the light is what illuminates the worlds today. 
but you shouldn't think that the gloriousness of created light, that that most luminous aspect of created light is lost to us forever. The rabbis say, no, 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 that light comes back into the world every Shabbos, every Friday afternoon, evening, when we light the Shabbos candles. Those two candles are glimmers of this luminous light of creation. And it seems to me that Shemitah, like being you know, the seventh year of, of a seven-year cycle, like Shabbos being the seventh day of a, of a seven-day cycle, that Shemitah is like lighting those candles for Shabbos and bringing back to the world the glorious luminous light of creation as it was meant to be shared by all of us, enjoyed by all of us, um, giving us the illumination to live um, in a world of justice and goodness and peace and plenty. Uh, and that's our task during the Shemitah year is to bring back to this world that vision of the most luminous birth of, of creation. And um, that's part of our job. Thank you so much, Rabbi Cardin. Beautiful. And I will interrupt there and ask um, Rabbi Bellows to pick up and, and share from there her, um, her connections to Shemitah as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. And so lovely to be with everyone here. Um, and, and a big shout out to Yaira, who's on here now. Um, thank you. Um, so the story that comes to mind is... Um, is one from the Talmud, from one of our great books of Jewish law and wisdom and stories. And it's a story about um, two rabbis and actually it's told two different ways with different names in there. So I'll just say, you know, two rabbis, close friends. One is, one is on a boat, the other one is on another boat nearby. And, and, and the first rabbi sees his friend's boat capsize in the midst of a storm, of this raging storm and is, and is on the boat mourning, mourning what he fears is the, the loss of his friend's life and the loss of the lives of everyone on the boat. Um, and eventually the boat makes it, his boat makes it to shore, gets to the shore, to the coast, and he's walking there and lo and behold, there his, there's his friend sitting there on the shore and is sitting there studying, uh, studying um, Talmud, studying, studying halakha, studying some of the laws about how we practice. And, um, and he says, oh my gosh, how did you, how did you survive? How did, how did this happen? And, and the rabbi who survived, he says, he says, well, as I was in the midst of this raging sea, as each wave came, I, I bowed my head to it and I clung to a daf, uh, literally a, a page of the Talmud, a page of this teaching or a plank of wood from the ship. Um, and that's how I made it through these raging seas. And it, you know, it's, it feels like so much of my work and life is sort of in the raging sea, is in the, the raging sea of these times that we're living in, times of, of climate crisis, times where communities are needing to figure out how to respond to an ever-changing environment and world and to um, where clergy and many different healthcare workers and others are figuring out how to respond to disaster in different ways. And um, I, I find that for me, Shemitah and Shabbat are, um, they're like that moment of bowing our heads to the wave or that moment of just getting to say, you know what, we're in a raging sea right now, 
but like we have to we have to sometimes release in order to be carried wave to wave you know back to shore to find ourselves to find you know the people who can help carry us carry the um, enormity of it with us so i i'll just um close by saying that Dayenu, the relatively new organization, um, and I am relatively new to getting to be a part of Dayenu, um, is building a, a, a Jewish climate movement, continuing to build a Jewish climate movement on the shoulders of some who are on this call. And we have a new campaign called Bechol Meodecha, with all of our might. Um, and I, I raise that because so much of what we do, just like this idea of with all of our might, is rooted in love, is rooted in taking action on behalf of that which we love. Beautiful. Sarah Young, could you um, take from there uh, how you and Hazon are connected to Shemitah? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sarah Zell Young. I'm the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Hazon. Uh, Hazon started the Shemitah project a few Shemitah cycles ago, and now um, Thanks to some of the great work of many organizations on this call, Shemitah is more widely known within the Jewish community at large, but when Hazon started this project, it was um, really an esoteric uh, piece of our tradition that um, had been lost to some respect. So the Shemitah project is really um, works to expand awareness about the biblical tradition and to bring the values of this practice to, to everyday life. Right now, we're a network of about 80 Jewish organizations across the denominational spectrum, and even a few um, non-Jewish organizations. And we really are uh, a network about different Shemitah work and hope to highlight uh, each other's work. Some interesting things that have happened in the project this year, we did our inaugural Shemitah Prizes, which was our first Shemitah art competition. We had 250 entries from all over the world, 11 different countries, and it came to uh, try to find a ritual object for Shemitah. We have ritual objects for all different Jewish things, for Shabbat, for Pesach, for but what can mark Shemitah? We had we had a, a wonderful uh, cadre of ritual objects submitted among a whole host of art and other categories. And we also uh, put out an updated Shemitah source book, which we believe is a comprehensive primer on Shemitah in its biblical origins, the rabbinic tradition and modern day applications. So if you're interested in that source book to um, enhance your knowledge, um, you can uh, get that on our website. We offer a purchase print, print copy or a by donation digital download. And um, we see Shemitah as a real, some, something to strive for, something every seven years where we can really think about the world we want to live in. And, and I'm gonna jump in there. We're trying to keep as close to an hour. No, you're good. You're possible. very good. So Semcha, would you mind telling us about uh, your connection to Shemitah in a couple of minutes? Thank you, Sarah. Sure. <clears throat> Thank you to all creation and everyone on this call. I'm honored to be here with you all. 
and also just want to give a prayer out to Ukraine and the people that are suffering um, in Eastern Europe due to what's going on. Um, an inspirational quote I have is from Rabbi uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, in which he talks about the Sabbath, which Shemitah is the grand old Sabbath, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And he says, is there any institution that holds out a greater hope for humanity's progress than the Sabbath? And I'll just say, then the Shemitah. And, you know, Shemitah is, I, I look at it as, an e as well as an earth consciousness, an economic consciousness. We're raging, we're going so fast. It's saying, hey, stop, slow down. It's not about necessarily accumulation of wealth. Let's just rest for a moment. Let some debts free and step back and reevaluate. And I'm the director of development of Wilderness Torah. Um, we decided this year, it happens to be our 14th year. So we're in our like second Shemitah moment. And what are we going to do for the next seven years? So we actually slowed down uh, some major community festivals and took a look inside, done some strategic planning. We're designing the future center for Earth-based Judaism. That was always was our tagline, Wilderness Torah, the center for Earth-based Judaism without an actual center. Well, we're getting to do that this year and design it, and it's gonna be housed at Camp Newman in Sonoma County. We're also looking at cultural evolution is what we call it, our internal staff structure. Um, how can we embody Shemitah, both by creating a sabbatical policy for those who work for six years, but also a little bit of Shemitah in every day. Shemitah is not waking up on the seventh year and saying it's Shemitah. It actually takes six years to prepare for it. So how do we approach each day, each week, each Sabbath with a taste of what you'd like to do in the seventh year? Beautiful. And that's what I got for now. Thank you so Thank much. You. Um, let's keep moving. Deirdre, can you give us your two minutes? Yeah, thanks. Um, I started the Shemitah Project Northwest, which is, um, it sounds a lot like Shemitah Project, but we're here in the Northwest. Um, <clears throat> and the, I was really, really deeply inspired by Shemitah at the beginning of the last cycle. And I didn't, I lacked um, resources within my community to do a whole lot um, with the concept, but I was, uh, I did a lot of teaching. And now, with Shemitah Project Northwest, we're grounded in uh, my congregation, my conservative Jewish congregation, and also we're also doing it in a, on a sort of a multi-faith basis because we're also um, have a partner in uh, Earth Ministry Washington Interfaith Power and Light, which is a multi-faith environmental, faith-based environmental organization. So um, it's actually a wonderful partnership and many, many people outside of the Jewish faith are interested and inspired by the message. Um, I think what's really important about what we're trying to do, um, we're sort of in a pivotal point right now because we're in the middle of a Shemitah year and we don't wanna go away. And like Simcha was saying before me, um, that our goal isn't to be just like a, a festival that pops up once every seven years we are really um in addition to trying to inspire visioning around small immediate projects that are inspired by shemitah to really look at medium and long-term visioning for for like what what transformational projects can we um can we envision and then begin to work with when we have a long time horizon like six years to prepare for going into the next shemitah cycle
thank you, Deirdre. Um, Rabbi Dob, if you wouldn't mind giving us a couple of minutes. Thrilled to be on with everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, so uh, like many of you doing it in our little corner, Adat Shalom, a Reconstructionist Congregation, Bethesda, Maryland, pioneer of sacred grounds to pick up where Naomi Edelson left off and many other great projects like that. Um, the angle that I want to add uh, from the textual tradition, Musar, this beautiful set of spiritual and ethical teachings for self-improvement that ultimately bring us more close to the center of our faith. Um, the focus is, of course, as many of you know, on midot or attributes, and so many of them speak to Shemitah, or perhaps it's Shemitah speaking to them. Like anava, the idea of humility is taking up the right amount of space. What would it look like for a society, for a species, to right-size itself? Shemitah is exactly, if not exactly as practiced in five parshiot, but Shemitah consciousness is exactly how we right-size ourselves in relation to others. Achrayut, responsibility, interconnection, chesed, loving kindness, building the kind of resilient micro-communities that Shemitah, would, Shemitah consciousness would actually dictate. And perhaps above all, kavod, the idea of honor. Uh, the classic proof text for this from Pirkei Avot is Ezehu Mechubad, who actually is honor-worthy, honorific? And the answer is Mechabed et Habriot, whoever honors the creations. It's usually translated as honors all people. And that is all people. That includes, this is National Refugee Shabbat coming up, that includes the ger, the immigrant, the stranger, singled out for concern here. That includes people of color and other minorities historically oppressed, the theme of reparations cannot and racial justice cannot be disconnected because if we every seven years we press the reset button, things would look a lot better. Kavod across the board, and that brings us back to Ukraine, but it also brings us back to the relationships just with the others around us. Shemitah is like the grand unification theory of all of our great values, and it's taken off. And thank you all for being a part of it. Beautiful. Marilla Goldsmith, will you wrap us up with a little two minutes about your connections to Shemitah as well? Sure. Well, you'll be able to tell from my remarks that Rabbi Dobb is my rabbi. Uh, so um, I grew up with the idea that Judaism was countercultural. But I didn't really understand that until the last Shemitah year when I had the good fortune to be working at Chazon. And we spent a lot of time really studying the whole idea of Shemitah and getting to know its ins and outs. Learning about Shemitah just made it, made it so clear. Um, and I learned that, and this is the way I like to put it, that year uh, Shemitah is a year dedicated to sustainability. It's about caring for earth and caring for people. It's the Jewish version of the social, the environmental, and the economic going together. And what I took from that as a climate activist is that in a world inspired by Shemitah, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. People wouldn't be dying from the filthy air. We wouldn't be devastating mountains with mountaintop removal. We wouldn't be spreading toxic wastewater from fracking on our roads. We wouldn't have these oil-fueled wars that we have now. 
Shemitah for me, there's two really big ideas in it. The first is that transformation is completely possible. Every seven years, we can completely change the rules and we can do things differently. And I think that really is an important thing to hold on to when we think about the world that we live in today and how we need to change it so utterly. And the second is that Shemitah is all about doing it together as a community. It's not the academic sabbatical of the individual. It's the community changing the rules. And that told me that we need to build community and we need to mobilize our Jewish communities. And now I'm doing that through the Jewish Earth Alliance, which mobilizes Jewish communities to advocate with Congress for the systemic solutions that we need to climb for climate change. Beautiful. Okay, thank you so much, Marilla. And, and thank you everybody very sincerely from my heart. This is um, truly an esteemed group. You know, it's clear that Shemitah means a, uh, a lot of things. And so we'll just see kind of where we end up in this conversation. And I will step out of the way and um, you guys take over. Thank you again. Well, I mean, I think I would encourage everybody to unmute um, and feel free to jump in. I, I'm jumping in first um, sort of to, uh, to break the ice or something, and then everyone else can jump into the broken ice. I'm really, um, part of the reason that I'm excited about this is because I, um, I want to bring some of these wonderful things back into my community. I've already, I've, I'm starting to write down a list of things that I want to um, begin to raise and inspire other people to do in my community. I was really um, listening to the idea of a Shemitah-focused Musar practice. That's something that could be a really meaningful um, um, background um, process that goes on during six years. One could imagine cycling through the Midot um, and having like really, you know, as a, as a, as a study practice within a community. Um, I love the idea of um, a sacred ground. It, um, our, my um, synagogue planted a rain garden. Um, and I would love to see, and we have um, a food garden, and I would love to um, bring the idea. Of, and then, and then the beauty of it then is that the, the next Shemitah year, we let it, we let it go. We don't like trim it, plant it, do any of these things. We just sort of see what happens, like observe these native plants, the sacred ground, and watch the creatures and partake of it. And it sounds like a very beautiful um, practice that could be attached to Shemitah as well. I was very curious before the thing got started. Um, uh, Rabbi Nina Beth Cardin was talking about um, some legislation in, in um, Massachusetts that's uh, really exciting, giving rights to nature. So um, I, I, I'm just in love with a lot of the ideas that I'm hearing and want to bring them back to my home community. So I... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I love, I, I, mean, I think Deidre, you spoke about this and something you spoke about it and plan and, and joining it with Fred's. Um, we don't want to sort of wake up one day and go, oh, Shemitah year is here. Now what do I do? Right. We want to make sure that we understand this is a cycle of six years plus one. And um, so Fred, I think you did give us an interesting way to structure understanding each year the bible after all names each year you know it, it names them it, with, with the numbers but it also each year has its own character where do you give the tithes how do you give the tithes and 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 if you're loaning money or you're you're, you're borrowing money you sort of know when that loan is due and when you know when when it will have to be um forgiven or when it'll have to be repaid by so i'm just i just ask all of us how do we as it were name each year 
along this cycle? How do we make sure that we know what each year is in its relationship to Shemitah? It, is, it the, is it the Musar concept? Is it something else? Is it the way that we behave this year as different from next year? So how would we name the year so that it's not just Shemitah year, but it is in fact the cycle and we know where we are every year in the midst of that Shemitah cycle? So Laura, I don't know if you had wanted to follow oh, up on that's that. That's beautiful. I love it. I just sort of want to sit with that a little bit. And I, I think um now say I it, it's also connected to the, um I I was gonna say that um I've been just going through the Shemitah project um uh awardees, you know, um art pieces and writing pieces that have come out of um Hazon Shemitah project and been so touched by by some of those pieces and and really um as you know I feel like I you know on one hand I'm I'm a rabbi and an organizer and you know whatever else I do but I'm also an artist and Shemitah year feels like a year um I'll say personally where um where I get to tune into some of the creativity and some of the um some of the, I hope, some of the radical imagination, and as as Joanna Macy would say, some of the moral imagination that we need for uncertain times. Um, and I think that's where, you know, when I think about those six years leading up to where we are um, now, um, it, it really feels to me like we need a reset. We need we need a year to to kind of um, regroup and organize and connect across our movements and across our communities and figure out how to. Um, how to be creative, how to, how to, you know, mobilize imagination for, um, for these very uncertain times. Thank you. If I can chime in here. And also that question in the chat was, how do we name every year? There's a moment called Hakel, which is the moment after we pray for rain at Sukkot start praying for rain, which in Wilderness Torah, we are bringing back the rain dance. We, and here in California, we need rain and all over the world, we need clean waters. So for one, just a pitch, let's dance for rain. We are rainmakers. And then after that most important act, there's Hakel, a moment where we declare the new cycle. And in that moment, it is spoken that the leaders kind of bow their heads to recognize the true leader, Hashem Elokeinu, great spirit. And amongst other things, there are instructions on what to do at that moment. But one thing organizations could do is mark that moment with the new plan, the new vision for the next seven years. So if you're watching out there, Google Hakel or the That's rabbi one of the this call. No more That's a great that. idea. That's one of the things that we're going to be doing. We're planning a Hakel um, in, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I would love, like, as I listen to this, I think I would love to maintain contact with this group. Um, maybe we could have future um, updates where we have thematic updates where we get back together because you guys are so creative. Um, Nina, I was thinking um, one thing I would love to have in the lobby of my synagogue would be a giant wheel that turns, that we turn each year so that we visualize 
individually know what this meets a year is and we can orient our youth education around it our youth programming our adult education our our, our intention to visit israel i think that there's an idea um in two of the meets a years that we're supposed to um visit jerusalem um it would be very meaningful to have that incorporated in every aspect of our synagogue life. One of the other things that um, that I have done is I made, I, I had made, because I'm not as artistic as you know, Laura and others here, um, a, um, a, a Rosh Hashanah Seder plate, which has um, six bowls in it so that every Rosh Hashanah I could I would fill up a bowl, first year, first bowl, second year, the first and second bowl, third year, first or second and third bowl, so that I would always know when I started, sort of the, the Hakel idea, but I would do it um, simply, you know, at my, at my home, um, so I would know what part of the Shemitah cycle um, I was entering now, but as much as I liked it, it was somewhat empty because I didn't have a fullness of how do I define that year, simply what you're adding to that, and what Fred was adding to that was that identify a a, a, a goal for that year, right? Identify a theme for that year, identify some way to mark that year um, so that you know how to behave more in line with uh, the Shemitah values. And, and that's, I, I still like to explore that with all of you as well. Yeah, something that um, Hazon is planning to do and hopefully partnering with many of the wonderful people on this call is to host like a Shemitah vision summit at the end of the Shemitah year to think about visioning for the next six years. Also, we're trying to align our Shemitah work with organizational climate action plans across different organizations across the Jewish spectrum and thinking about how we can like, how we can uh, use the wisdom of Shemitah and, and this series of seven year cycles to think about building on each other in terms of uh, improving our relationship to the earth and the natural world. I want to jump in for that because I do think again, to, I know I said it, but to underscore is like, we don't have to go far away to have that relationship with the natural world. And I feel lucky because I live, you know, five minutes from Sligo Creek, which is this beautiful creek and I get to walk on it or bike or, you know, whatever. Every day I pretty much see it and I see how things change. And like people don't have that in their lives. My parents grew up in New York City. They didn't have that, you know, and we only got it because we didn't have enough money. So they would camp as, you know, going on vacation because they didn't have the money for hotels and fancy restaurant restaurants at all. So we learned, you know, about the outdoors that way. But I, I think that's part of it. We have this disconnect with each other, but also with, right, with the nature, with wildlife. And I like, for me, like this whole, reflection it gives us hope that we can reset ourselves and it's also that same idea but like recreating our yards gives us hope every day to come out and see that if we have a yard you know is like a beautiful way to remind us the world is good instead of like being bombarded with all this harshness that recently but anyway so i i think and i think from a congregation standpoint it is really obviously important to give people hope and i think by planting native plants it may it it's amazing, right? I mean, I'm working with a bunch of the people on this call on it, but people, congregations love it, I think, because it makes people feel like they can make a difference. And that's what we're all trying to do. I love it too. And I got some plants from Naomi and I planted them on my balcony. <laughs> 
And it's amazing. I have these native plants growing on my balcony and it's only going to expand this summer. I do want to inject into the conversation the idea that our connection to the earth these days is not only through agriculture. You know, the, 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 the Shemitah of the Torah, the most basic connection that we had was through agriculture and everyone was a farmer basically. So everyone could relate to that. Today, we are dependent on energy sources, the fossil fuels. And that's one of our strongest interrelationships and connections with the earth and with the land. And I think that we can integrate the idea of reducing our fossil fuel use, becoming more energy efficient, repairing what we have damaged. You know, this country, we have like hundreds of thousands or millions, I don't know, of abandoned oil wells that are leaking methane into the atmosphere. So, you know, they didn't worry much about the atmosphere back in those days, but we were not only destroying the land, we're destroying the atmosphere. So I think we can connect these principles of Shemitah and this interrelationship also to our use of energy. Um, hi everyone, I just wanna say hi, I'm Nati. Um, I, I was just teaching a class on Shemitah for the Jewish Farmer Network that just ended. So coming straight from that. Um, so glad to have you. So, Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just want to, I just dropped in the chat a file um, that I created with a friend, I think before the last Shemitah year um, called Shemitah Year by Year. It was kind of like a, a very first attempt at, I think this question that I came in on um, of kind of like, can each year of the cycle have its own unique theme or flavor in relationship to the Shemitah year? Um, so it's it's in there as the PDF, and I'm also happy to send it to Chris, who can maybe send it out to participants if you're interested in in looking at that and certainly building on top of that. Yes, let's do that. We'll send a follow-up email to everyone who's on the call. Thank you. It's nice to see you, Nati. I admire your work very much, and I'm honored to be on a program with you. So thank you for being here along with Thanks, Deidre. Nice to see you too. And likewise. Um, I thank you. Um, I had a question. Oh, yeah. I have been thinking that for my own education, um, I would really love to put together a high level study group about um, Shemitah. Um, and I'm wondering if there might be some other people on the call who would be interested informing that with me. I would definitely be on the, the learning edge, but I'm um, a serious student. Um, just a question, throwing it out. I'm interested, and I also want to say that most of what I know about Shemitah, I learned from Rabbi Ari Hart, and he's an incredible teacher, and I think uh, you should turn to him and ask him if he'll participate. <laughs> I would say, Deidre, um, you know, if you if you create it, they will come. Uh, yeah, do it. <laughs> People will show up. We will show up. So what are people doing this year to mark this Shemitah year for themselves? I'd love to hear. So uh, uh, apropos of the classic division Shemitat Karka, the, the land-based parts, Shemitat Safim, 
the economic justice elements, and then kind of the third of the, the restfulness and renewal, um, three big programs on each of those, bringing in community partners. And with the Shemitat Safim, the economic one, tying into our own synagogues, as with many of our communities, growing racial justice and anti-racist commitment consciousness, and really focusing on this question of reparations. Um, because where I, the question is, how can we not only stop the damage that we are still doing through things like carbon emissions and, and other injustices and unsustainabilities, but what would it actually look like to go back and, and try to do what Leviticus 26, the overlooked text that's the warning of what will happen if we don't let the land have its Shemitahs, right? Well, what, what are the social comeuppances if we don't allow the people's equality to come as it should if we press a soft reset every seven and a hard reset every 50 years and find a way to bring justice and sustainability into the human sphere. So those are just a few of the directions we're taking it. Well, Shemitah Project Northwest has um, gathered together 12 different member organizations that we are um, we are holding programmings, we're sharing program. Um, some of the things, we have a little free library, I mean, a little free food pantry. Um, we've had, a, uh, we had a program in honor of Tubishvat and Martin Luther King Day, um, teaching about connections between Shemitah and racial and economic justice. Um, and we, um, we've taught in our, um, on our religious school and our middle school programming. Um, we taught your, um, your teshuva. Um, Robert Hardin and we taught um, uh, about the meaning of Shemitah to our sixth graders and we're, we're trying to infuse it throughout our community. We're making resources available through, um, we're putting together a big website that will enable all of the community whenever we have Shemitah related programming to share it so that we're all aware of it and can participate. We had a great program at Chubishvat um, with City Fruit, which is a fantastic. I call, there, there are many, many, I call them Shemitah adjacent organizations that know nothing about Shemitah, but they're 100% aligned with the goals. And what they do is they um, they gather the fruit that grows on, the, on our abundant copious city apple trees that are all over the place and brings them to food banks um, so that they actually feed people and they teach people to care for their fruit and it's like it's not just apples it's everything that we grow out here um, perfect Shemitah alignment with that organization um, so and we're absolutely trying to incorporate themes of economic well um, I would love to I've, I've looked at um, organizations that buy um, debt that for instance buy medical debt and um, enable people to become debt free and I think it's very fascinating as we've gone through the pandemic and we see the effect that debt is having on really putting the brakes on many people's lives and and uh, the idea of reviewing just the whole the whole um, uh, environment of debt that people experience because it can either be a real spur to the economy to allow people to better themselves or it can absolutely be a, 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 an anchor that weighs them down for their entire lives when you have elderly retired people who are still not not free of their student loan debt um i think those, that it would be really interesting to figure out how to do um, a better job with that and 100 percent um reparations seems so um intrinsic with the oval that we wouldn't we wouldn't have these problems if we had a system of preventing intergenerational poverty from being passed down through families. Um, and that this seems like it was explicitly intended to prevent that. And so how do we draw that? How do we draw out those ideas?
So I just, there's so many really strong, I would call them warp threads through the work that we can do. And we're, we're sort of trying to do it all, um, but mainly by inspiring other people, like to, to, to um, sort of be that angel that sees the little blade of grass growing and encourages it. That's um, a big part of our, our work. So in a, in a um, let's say at this point, you know, less institutionalized, you know, less organized way, but um, but the um, one aspect of Shmita practice that has really spoken to me is around shared economies um, and shared resources and how do we figure out, you know, in a sort of biblical context of breaking down our fences where we are more reliant on 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 shared resources and on what is growing, you know from the ground, I think, you know, for me that has translated into researching and finding out about um, some of the time banks in my area and tool libraries and, you know, spaces like little free book libraries and figuring out how to better um, support and connect um, others with some of those resources. There's a big mutual aid movement still in, in the area where I live. And I think, you know, all of those kinds of systems where neighbors are helping each other, um, particularly in economically diverse areas feel, to me, feel very much like a Shemitah practice. Um, and one that I hope is helping, you know, set up some alternative economies that can help sustain, sustain us and bring us into the next six years in a more equitable way. No, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm curious if there are others who haven't spoken, who have like Shemitah practices that they're sitting with, working with, that kind of thing. It's, it's been great to hear. Well, I can talk about my synagogue, that is Rabbi Dobbs Synagogue, <laughs> where we have a climate action team. And we found a fantastic connection to Shemitah this year because our county is working on a new uh, general plan, which is about land use and sustainability for the county. It's called Thrive 2050. So it's basically setting, it's going to set the parameters for development um, and everything that goes along with it, like transportation and affordable housing for the next 50 years. So we felt that that was a very appropriate project to take on for the Shemitah year because the Shemitah year is also about looking at a vision for society and investing in the future. So what we did is we decided to educate our, our community members about this plan. We had a night of uh, Shabbat dinners where we learned about Shemitah and how it relates to planning in, in our own community. And um, then now we are actually advocating for this plan and a number of our uh, congregants have testified before our county council about the Thrive 2050 plan. So we were able to sort of put these ideas right into action in our community. Yeah, I want to um, I sort of jump in and maybe take a turn with a, a group, a question for the group about um, an interpretation on this, this large idea of Shemitah. The, the thing that's most exciting to me about it, um, again, as an outsider is uh, it, to me, it feels very revolutionary relative to the way we perceive of our relationship with other life on our planet, with cycles of, as uh, Deirdre said, institutionalized uh, poverty and, and other 
other issues around social imbalance and, and imbalance with the biosphere that sustains us. So um, Rabbi Neil Blumoff, um, one of his interpretations of the Exodus verse around Shemitah, the, the Exodus commandment, is the idea that it is basically God saying to um, the people of that time, you no longer have complete and total dominion over the fields. You need a little bit of an instruction book here. You've, you've, you need to uh, maintain this cycle in order to maintain the balance. And it's, it's sort of a, the idea of a helping hand. And when I spoke with Deirdre about this a, a couple of days ago, she was both receptive and also guarded on um, that idea. And so I wanna just throw it out to the group and see what kinds of responses we might get, particularly from the rabbis, but from everyone, you know, this idea that Shemitah is saying to some degree, we do not have dominion over the earth. There are living systems um, and social equity issues that we need to all honor uh, in order to stay well. So can uh, maybe Rabbi Dobbs speak to that or Rabbi Cardin speak to that first? Just very quickly, in Leviticus 25, Shemitah and Yovel are next to each other, and chapter 25, verse 23, is the famous line, Ki li ha'aretz, the land is mine, says God. And many of the classic commentators point to that as the proof text for all of Shemitah. It's back to that question of humility, of anava, of right-sizing ourselves compared to God, as well as compared to the rest of creation. And in both cases, we need greater humility, some downsizing, and uh, a smaller footprint, and that is all Shemitah. Yeah, I, uh, I see Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 uh, as a way to respond to that. Genesis 1 is, of course, where we hear the phrases, you know, that we should dominate the world. And I, I believe that when we were, in fact, a small uh, species on this earth, when we had a small footprint and we were extremely vulnerable, um, that the blessing was that we should be able to manage our environment so that we should survive. I mean, that's what it was all about. So when you're very small, little, little technology, uh, still, still needing to, to grow in knowledge and capacity and numbers potentially, you know, the Genesis 1 blessing of domination worked. But when we hit the capacity that we have now and the numbers that we have now and the technology that we have now, Genesis 1 theology um, ends up being a, a, a destructive you know, theology if we imagine that we're here to dominate, which is where Genesis 2 comes in. Genesis 2 talks about humanity being in service to the land. In order for the land to serve us and to be there for us, we need to be there for the land. So Genesis 2 is actually an antidote to that vision that we are here simply to dominate the earth, but that we are here to work in concert with the earth as a partner with the earth to make sure that it is, um, it is verdant and continues to be regenerative. But remember, it says that we are there to work the land and also to protect it. Um, and a, a good friend of mine, Jeremy Benstein, asked the question, protect it from what? <laughs> We're talking about the Garden of Eden with Adam. We know the, so what does the world need to be protected from? Well, essentially from us, right? That is what it needs to be protected from. As we work it and as we build this glorious civilization that we want to build, let's be careful how we do it and make sure that we don't do it in, in a dominating and, and, and destructive way. So I see Genesis 2 as a corrective to Genesis 1. 
Are there any other thoughts people want to jump in on that? It's it's beautiful. And, you know, the biggest challenge of this gathering is to try and get a lot said in a small amount of time because there are so many amazing minds here. So let's see if there are any more thoughts on this uh, idea of dominion and the corrective and the uh, text being written at a time where scale was not an issue, human uh, environmental footprint, as it were. Yeah, I have, I have a, a, a thought about that, which is that one of the ways that I understand Shemitah is in relationship to the creation stories in, in Genesis 1 and 2, where we started in a garden essentially as, as kind of tenders of the garden, caretakers of the garden. And then when we're exiled, the punishment is that we become farmers right? Like um, we go from kind of living amidst all this abundance to, you know, by the sweat of our brow, we will eat bread. And that what Shemitah kind of points to is it points us back into the Edenic way of life, where we basically stop being farmers for a year. And in terms of how that relates to kind of the other species on the planet, is that, you know, for 95% of human beings time on earth, we were not farmers and we did what pretty much all other animals do, which is we wake up and we say, what are we going to eat today? And we go and we find it and we're not like amassing a lot of surplus. Um, and we're moving with the natural cycles of, you know, the, the rains and the, and the resources. And when we become farmers, we shift gears and we take an approach where we're going to have more control over the, our landscape and, and perceive control over our, our food sources. Um, and that kind of separates us from the way other animals live. Um, and I think it's a powerful reminder that, that you know, we've only been farming for 10,000 years-ish and humans have been on earth for at least like 200,000 years. Um, and so we, we in, in many ways, it was a lot more sustainable to not be farmers. And so Shemitah kind of like points us, A, it kind of keeps that memory alive, reminds us that we were not always, always farmers. Um, they're just asking if I've read Ishmael. Yes, this is where many of the ideas that I have about um, Shemitah come from both Ishmael. And there's a great book that was written by a Christian theologian in response to Ishmael called Genesis and the Rise of Civilization, where he basically goes through the entire book of Genesis and maps it onto the history of the agricultural revolution and the rise of civilizations in ancient Near East. Um, but yeah, that it's a, it's a reminder, like we're animals and you know, that, that we can also live without farming. I mean, it, it'd be hard now because we're so dependent on the agricultural systems, but um, as a species, we can do it. Um, and Shemitah kind of keeps that that memory and maybe in a more practical sense, it keeps the literacy alive. If you knew that every seven years, part of a big part of your diet was gonna be wild, foraging wild plants, then you would be sure to know which wild plants you can live off of. Um, and, and so I think there's a, a real kind of power there and a flattening of any sort of like species hierarchy um, where we might place humans above the other animals where we can kind of go back to being part of this, this web. Beautiful. I just want to add something that, you know, I don't understand the, that whole concept of dominion because I just never grew up with that. And it's just a foreign idea to me when I learned it at some point, even though we obviously live our lives that way because we don't use thought and everything and how we use it. But 
I know many people were taught that, but it, it also just was never like, I feel like I had to be taught to think like that instead of starting naturally without that thought. I don't know, you know, so it, it's, I know it's different for other people, but it's always struck me as um, almost like something we do have, like racism. We have to be taught to be racist. We're not born that way. You know, we're born loving and natural, you know, creative and well about the world, I think. And so I think we also were born that way in our relationship with nature. And somehow we were taught along the way not to be that way. I think uh, there's a, the the interpretation that I said that I like with respect to that verse comes from Rabbi Shai Held. He looks at the word as um, as as uh, the human being having been as sort of established as God's vice regent on earth, and we're asked how would we um, have dominion as if we were standing in for the Creator. And if we think of the Creator as having created all of these things with love, wanting them to fill the earth and to 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 um to be um fruitful and to multiply and and admiring their beauty and reflecting on their goodness before the the um arrival of the the garden's caretaker that form of dominion looks very different if you look at god as as the mother of creation sort of i mean if you don't mind the sort of gendered aspect of it but the idea of like having created all this this is like the children and here i'm like you're the babysitter of my children like i give you dominion of my household and it doesn't mean that you're like meant to whip my children and when i come back they're going to be like flayed i mean i want them to be taken care of and so i see the word dominion can mean that as well and that's i think that that's that's the the gift of interpretation that i was given by rabbi shai Beautiful. Let's quickly ask the audience to put any questions they may be thinking of, no matter how simple or complex, into the chat and start to wrap up. I'm going to try and show, while they're writing their questions, also these visuals. Um, one thing that strikes me about the idea of um, Shemitah and letting fallow fields, or letting fields lay fallow, or however that terminology sticks together, I just learned today that the word fallow really means uh, brown, basically, the color of the field. Um, and um, so the, the idea in a way is that, you know, we're letting things go from brown to green again. We've been talking tonight about this idea that Hazon defines here pretty succinctly as reimagining society, reimagining the future based off of these specific tenets that are identified in the, in the text. And these bigger ideas of the land not really belonging to human beings. And there's just so much here for us to discuss and think about and employ. There's also a discussion that Deirdre and I had a couple of days ago about the Native American point of view right now that says, you know, we don't need you to come help us. We need you to, we need you to claim your homeland. We need you to find where the stars know your name and develop a relationship with your lands and take care and allow things to, uh, to be as they should be for the other life on our planet. This particular slide I, I love because of the image on the left. Mr. Rosenberg here is just saying that being to be able to do a mitzvah that's connected to the land is very special. And so I think also we should highlight this spirituality that comes from interacting with the land, that comes from interacting with the other created uh, living things. Um, on the right is the, uh, the head of the Israeli ministry on um, 
what's the right terminology here? Agriculture according to the Torah, and he's talking about uh, Shemitah, how Shemitah is practiced in Israel now, the practical ways that's employed. Everything about uh, restoring to abundance, abundance of spirit, abundance of productivity from the natural landscape. This is a photo in Israel, reminding people to practice Shemitah. Um, this is wilderness Torah out in nature. This is uh, acknowledging that there's, there are many, many things about um, letting fields go fallow that are counterintuitive uh, to our modern way of life, such as letting food rot. Um, but again, it's about creating abundance. And something we don't have time to get into tonight is ways around the sort of uh, Shemitah law that are being employed today. Um, but it's about planting a better future. It's about allowing a better future to grow. It's about planning a better future. And um, the folks that are here tonight are just doing such dedicated work to reconnecting the, the long lineage of our, um, our identities as, as people on earth to this deep biblical text that I think is very rich. And, and I hope to you know, stay in contact with you guys and learn a lot more. So um, if there are any questions in the chat, uh, let's see, I have one here. How can we as non-Jewish parishioners embrace the idea of Shemitah? And would we be welcomed to be part of the practice of Shemitah? I don't see the question in the chat. Do you mind repeating that? Sure. How can non-Jewish people practice Shemitah and would they be welcome to do so? Of course, the answer is yes. Yes, <laughs> please. First of all, Shemitah is in your Bible too, right? So please go for it. And there have been some amazing um, projects in, uh, you know, among what we call non-Jews, that would be the rest of the world, implementing the principles of Shemitah, such as the Jubilee Debt Relief Project, which was enlisting countries to relieve the debt of develop, you know, the rich countries to relieve the debt of the um, developing nations. You can look that up on the internet. And I'm sure others of you have other examples, but please get involved, join us. Yeah, I'll say as a non-Jew, the what I'm most compelled by is that this feels like a template that I can apply. And that's, that's what's happening in the Jewish community is it's being interpreted and applied in so many different important ways. There's another question here from Mirala actually, who just spoke that she would like to hear more from uh, Rabbi Nina about the Maryland Environmental Human Rights Amendment that you're working on. So uh, in October, the United Nations Human Rights Council uh, passed a resolution saying that in environmental health is a fundamental human right, um, which is a wonderful thing that they did. In, uh, in America, the 1970s, five states put in their constitutions uh, a clause that said environmental health is a fundamental human right. And what we're trying to do here in Maryland is uh, capture that zeitgeist that is now re-emerging after 50 years from the 1970s to now um, and put in our state constitution in our declaration of rights an amendment that says that each person has a fundamental and inalienable right to a healthful environment new york state just did it there are 14 other states looking at it right now we hope that maryland joins new york it is an uphill battle because as you can imagine there are some interest groups that are not interested in making sure that we share the bounty of the earth um, and we protect the bounty of the earth. 
But if we put this in our state constitutions and potentially eventually in our federal constitution, making sure that the government is responsible for protecting the environment for everyone so that there are no cumulative impact um, neighborhoods, there's no environmental injustice, there are no haves and have nots, that the earth will be here for now and for future generations. That fundamental right can be transformative in how we behave as a society and how we hold our government to behave. And as you know, putting things in a fund in a bill of rights or a declaration of rights in a, in a constitution is not just a matter of law, it is a matter of uh, cultural DNA. It is something that seeps into our spirit so that we know this is not just what we do, but who we are. So I encourage you all to go and take a look at your state constitutions and be in touch with me if you wish to talk about how we can put environmental rights in our state constitutions, um, we need it. Beautiful. And let's let's go one last. Um, thank you so much, Rabbi Cardin. And let's go one last uh, comment here and, and kind of get an ex explanation. Um, again, everyone on this call is uh, exceptionally gifted and, and wonderful. And so I just wish everyone had two hours to talk. But um, this comment comes from uh, Rabbi Dobb, and, and he's he's mentioning something I'm not familiar with. So I thought maybe he could just explain it a little more. He says um, another photo uh, that would go well with these traditional observances of Shemitah could or should be of Shemitah Yisrael, Yisrael, I don't can't even say that word yet. So maybe you can take <laughs> Very over. Quick. Very quickly, Shemitah Yisraelit is part of the contemporary environmental movement in Israel that's doing so much of this work in the other great center of the global Jewish community. And um, because a lot of those photos, it's very easy to focus on the people who are trying to preserve biblical literalism. And kol kavod, right, as we say, all the honor to those who are trying to interpret it that way and coming up with, a, with ways around so that they feel like they're in alignment with the letter of the Torah. Um, the letter of the Torah in a world of 8 billion people may simply not be the thing to do anymore. The spirit of Torah around Shemitah, Shemitah consciousness, as opposed to Shemitah observance, is in some ways the lodestar for almost everything that we've all been talking about. And so props to not just to the people trying to uh, help uh, Orthodox farmers in Israel have this year uh, for their fields to lay fallow and expect more to come from other areas, um, but actually to think of it in the interconnected whole that we're a part of. And that means we need to begin to think about exactly what others have been saying how it is a seven-year cycle. And maybe what we need is a 14% reduction annually, which is the equivalent of a year off, but spread out. And maybe we can do that in the human sphere, and maybe we can do that in the ecological agricultural sphere. Beautiful. As the Christian folks say, amen. I'm going to wrap us up, everybody. I I, um, I do want to add a comment on that, just as the moderator, that um, I do imagine a world where we we find this unification or this this new integration amongst our technolo our technologies and the the laws of the biosphere, and find ways to perhaps schedule shmitas progressively every year, so that we're rotating, sort of like this idea of rotational grazing for raising meat and rotational uh, agriculture for keeping, it, it's basically the same idea for keeping fields uh, verdant and, and productive and soils rich. Um, but 
let's pause for now on this. And I just want to say thanks so much, everyone, uh, for being here, including the audience. Um, this event was presented by Shemitah Project Northwest, Hazon, the National Wildlife Federation, and allcreation.org, and produced by Biointegrity. Please visit each of the organizations that are represented here tonight. There's the uh, PDF in the chat, which I will put in there one more time as we're signing off here. Um, if you're listening as a podcast, look for links to the organizations in the podcast notes. And then last but not least, we want to say a big and a special thanks to Yair Robinson, who's been listening in tonight. She was the guest editor for this issue of All Creation called Shemitah Now. And um, as well to each of our guests tonight that Yair brought uh, to All Creation and brought together initially. It has been uh, really inspiring for me personally to learn from each of you through your works that were contributed to the All Creation publication, and then also to uh, start to discover more of what's going on in the Jewish community. And um, I'm deeply inspired. I look forward to staying in touch with you guys over the next seven years. Thanks most of all to our audience for being here. Uh, please visit our host websites, allcreation.org, nationalwildlife or nwf.org, Shemitah Project Northwest on the internet and hazon.org and all of these groups and see what they have to offer. There's so much that we need to do and there's so much that we can do. We are barely at the very beginning, I think, of some new ways of, of thinking about how we live together on earth. And um, with that, I just wanna say thanks so much to everyone and good night to all. Take good care. <laughs>